Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook and drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. This is the word of God. Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes is swinging cheerfully at the playground. And the big school bully named Moses, get off the swing, Twinkie. Calvin pertly replies, forget it, Mo, wait your turn. Kablooey. And Calvin muses... It's hard to be religious when certain people are never incinerated by bolts of lightning. When you read that statement in a comic, it's funny. It causes us to scratch our heads. Yeah, yeah, how come, you know, why are certain people not incinerated? But if you hear the statement out of the mouths of parents whose child is being abused, it's not so funny. If you hear the statement out of the mouths of the Christians in North Korea who are being persecuted, it does cause us to scratch our heads, but it's not so funny. We are in the middle of Habakkuk when God seems silent. The scholars call this tension, this issue, they call it the problem of evil. Uh, you may remember last week, uh, Minister Jeff used the word theodicy, a defense of God when faced with evil and suffering. Uh, on the street, you hear it phrased uh, like this, why do bad things happen to good people? And we can add, why do good things happen to bad people? <laughs> it's called the problem of evil. The problem is this, if God is all-powerful, as we believe, as the Bible teaches, and if he is all-loving, pure love, then why is evil 
flourishing and suffering winning the day. And that is a problem. Now, if the first were not true, if God was not all-powerful, then, then we could understand Hitler and the, the ovens. We could understand Pol Pot in Cambodia and the killing fields. If God was not all-powerful, we could understand how the Tutsis slaughtered with machetes the Hutu people. We, we could think, oh, poor God, he doesn't like evil, but, you know, his hands are tied, he can't do anything about it. But the Christian faith says God is all-powerful. If God was not all-loving, if he was not pure love, if he had a little bit of a mean streak in him, or maybe if he was just sort of hard and indifferent, then we could understand he, he has the power to stop evil, but he doesn't really care. But the Bible says he is love. His mercies are new every morning. And so this problem of evil, it is a problem. You may be comforted to know that it's not just a problem for Christians, it's a problem for all of the world religions and major philosophies. We don't have time to get into that, but just one example. Uh, the Eastern religions, the pantheistic, monistic, all is one. The Eastern religions handle the problem of evil and suffering basically by denying it or sort of explaining it away, saying it is an illusion. I know it seems real to you, but it's an illusion. In reality, all is one. Good and evil, it's all one. Pain and pleasure, it's all one. Life and death, it's all one. And your job in life is to be enlightened, to come to see this oneness, and then you won't be troubled by the problem of evil and suffering. Well, what do you think of that solution? I find Christianity more reasonable. I find that our instinct is correct Evil is real. It is not an illusion. It is diametrically opposed to good. It's not just, you know, I have to get out of my mind and see. But uh, all the major religions and philosophies wrestle with this. Nevertheless, having said that, it is a problem for Christianity. And the Bible tackles it and addresses it over and over in, in passage after passage and book after book. We have the Psalms of Lament. There's like 50 of them. There's like a third of the book of Psalms. Why? Look, God, what's going on? We have 2 Corinthians. Paul was being persecuted. They hated him. They beat him. Why? Because he was a good person. He was selfless. He was preaching the gospel. He wasn't doing it, you know, to get rich or something. 
And so he, he wrestles with the, why, Lord, why? First um, Peter, the, the Christians were being persecuted. And Peter says to them, when you are reviled, don't revile back again. But keep entrusting yourself to God who judges justly. Look at Jesus. When he was reviled, he didn't lash back. He was like a lamb before the slaughterers. Just kept trusting God. Revelation, the martyrs before the throne. How long, O Lord? It's a good question. Job, of course, what's going on? Lamentations, the whole book, lament, lamentations, a whole book. And Habakkuk. It is the central question, this problem of evil. Why do bad things happen to good people? It is the central question of Habakkuk. What do we do when God seems silent? Last week, uh, Jeff used the word cognitive dissonance. Can you remember that? Cognitive, the mind, dissonance, you know, does not harmonize. So we believe these things about God, and we experience these things, and if we're not careful, the tendency is to adjust our beliefs to match our experience. You follow that? This seems so real to me. And it is real. Therefore, I guess I was wrong about God. Cognitive dissonance. Remember your, uh, your background uh, on the book of Habakkuk? Hey, if, you, if you don't know the background of Habakkuk, then you ought to take uh, Chris and Emily's Old Testament survey course. All right? Put a plug in there for that uh, Old Testament survey. You may remember that there in the fertile crescent between the Tigris and the Euphrates that Assyria was the world empire, and they came over to little old Israel, and they, like they had with so many nations, they conquered them, and they deported the people of the north. They, they, they basically just moved them on out, and they moved other people they had conquered into the north. And they came down south and started to threaten Jerusalem, but the Lord preserved Jerusalem. That southern kingdom's called Judah. Here's the land of Israel. The north was deported, and they came down into the south and threatened Jerusalem. And then what happened? Well, like all you know, world empires, they rise and fall, and Assyria eventually was uh, you know, taken over and beat up by the new uh, empire, and that was Babylon, or the Chaldeans. And down there in near Jerusalem, in the little southern kingdom of Judah, they were having something of a revival, and uh, they were sitting pretty for a while, and they had a very good king. His name was Josiah, and people were worshiping God again, and then Josiah died. And the people went back 
you know, worshiping idols and being violent and exploiting each other. And that's where we were last week. Habakkuk says, what's going on? God, I cry for help. You do not hear? Why do you make me see iniquity? I'm I'm talking about my people down here in Jerusalem, Judah. Why do you idly look at wrong? The law, you know, the, the Old Testament law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous. How long, O Lord, do something? Don't you see what's going on? The Lord says, yeah, I see. Here's my plan. I'm going to send the new empire, the Chaldeans, Babylon, to come and discipline the people you're talking about, Habakkuk, down there, the purple circle down there in Judea. I will send the Chaldeans. And Habakkuk says, time out, God. Hang on now. Let me see if I have this straight. You're going to send idol-worshiping, pagan, violent, bad, powerful Chaldeans I mean, these are still your people, God. I know they're sinning. I mean, that, that, I, I know they're, they're still your people. You're going to send them? What kind of plan is that? What kind of plan is that? I mean, if you discover some weeds in your flower bed among the roses, You wouldn't drop napalm on the whole thing to get rid of the weeds. That would take care of the problem. (laughs) If your beautiful white couch in the living room gets marred, it has some grape jelly on it, you wouldn't burn the couch. That'd get rid of the jelly. And Habakkuk says, God, what kind of plan is this? The name Habakkuk means perhaps wrestler or maybe an embracer. And he's wrestling with the problem of evil. What kind of plan, God, are you working? The problem is, as I've already said, Habakkuk's belief about God. We read in verses uh, 12 and 13, listen to 12 and 13 and listen to this, this concept of God. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment? And you, O rock, have established them for reproof? You who are, who are of purer eyes than to see evil, and you cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Cognitive dissonance, you're everlasting, 
You are the Lord. That's personal name of God. Yahweh. Covenant God. You're holy. The ancient people had a concept of the gods as being holy, but in their mind, that concept meant other, different, bigger, other, transcendent. And that's certainly included in the, the Hebrew and the Christian concept of holiness. But we have added to that concept because of God's self-revelation, personal righteousness. The ancient people didn't really think of their gods as you know, good beings. They, they were definitely big, powerful, other. But Habakkuk says, you're good. Name your quality, unselfish, faithful, morally upright, truth-teller. You name your quality. God, that's you. I don't get this plan, God. You have pure eyes. So the problem is his concept of God, and the problem is his concept is understanding of the Chaldeans that God will use. He says in 14 through 17, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. So, so mankind, we're just like a, you know, like a school of fish. We're just sort of, you know, no ruler, no, they're, they're going this way and that. And we're just down here, we're kind of helpless, just like fish. Verse 15, he, Chalde the Chaldeans, Babylon, he brings them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them with his dragnet. He rejoices and is glad. It's a, it's a good image. It's poetry. You got the hook. You have a net. That's a, a one-person net. Uh, I'm not sure if it's this kind that you would throw out and it would open like a parachute and you would haul it in. But it's, it's designed for one person. And then he says, they also drag us out with the dragnet. That's a two-person or a multi-person net. It was a big net. You would attach it to one uh, small boat and string it across to another boat, and then they'd row and just drag that net and catch everything. This is your plan, God? The hook and the net and the dragnet? Look at these people. Verse, uh, verse 16, therefore he sacrifices to his net. <laughs> See, like, like makes an idol out of his power, his conquest. You can imagine in Babylon, big, uh, big uh, military parades with all their chariots and all their gleaming armor and all the captives being led captive and they, they literally sacrifice. They'd go into the temple and they'd offer, you know, whatever animals and everything. We are great. Nothing like us ever existed. The gods of Babylon have blessed us. He sacrifices to his net 
He makes offerings to the dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Verse 17, is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? So God, what kind of plan is this? And there you have it for this week. God's people were breaking their covenant. They were exploiting each other. They were violent. Habakkuk said, Lord, this is bad. How long do I have to look at this? Do something, God. God's response, okay, I'll do something. I'll send the Chaldeans. Habakkuk gulps. The Chaldeans? We've heard about these people. You talk about violent. Lord, respectfully, I'm not following you. And there we leave you for another week. God is great. God is good. And evil exists. All right, let's not quite leave you there. Let's see if we can offer some application and solution and perspective on this tension. Here's your application. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. When you wrestle with the problem of evil and every person here does, Keep watch. Heads up. Eyes up. Get up on your watchtower. <laughs> what will he answer? How can we keep watch? See if we can break that down a little bit. how to keep watch pray you remember the night before our Lord was crucified the disciples were just so sad they were overcome with grief and Jesus said to them watch and pray so that you will not enter into temptation. So one way to keep watch 
And many people have found the sustaining strength of prayer. Do you know that, that old uh, hymn? It's back from the 1800s. Uh, what a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. Remember that all our sins and griefs to bear. You know the story? It was written by this guy named uh, Joseph Scriven. The night before his wedding, his fiance drowned. One of the verses says, Have we trials and temptations? Mm hmm. Is there trouble anywhere? Mm hmm. We should never be discouraged. I'm not so sure about that one. Take it to the Lord in prayer. So when you have trials and temptations and when you are discouraged and when there's cognitive dissonance and when you cry out, how long, O Lord? Take it to the Lord in prayer. That is one way to keep watch. It's a partial answer to our problem, but, but it's a partial answer. Pray. L. Lament. One of the lessons of Habakkuk is express yourself. <laughs> if things aren't lining up, communicate. Talk to God. Talk to each other. Let's remind ourselves that Habakkuk is praying. He's talking to God, and yet he's also communicating with us. Here we are, thousands of years later. He's writing down all this stuff. Communicate. Lament. Don't go underground with your legitimate questions. Use the, uh, the ministry <coughs> of the body. I mean, your friends. I mean, your small group. Talk. Express. No one's going to judge you. P-L-C. Consider. Here's what I mean. When you're, when you're in the middle of, you know, trials and temptations, when you're in the middle of that, when you're suffering, consider what is God inviting you into? Do you know that phrase? I learned it just a year or two ago. It's a phrase that's used, I think, in like spiritual direction. Our belief is God is powerful, God is loving, this thing stinks. Okay, okay. Why, why is he doing this? What is he inviting you into? What loving purpose is he orchestrating? What, how is he, he orchestrating all these events powerfully? What's he inviting you into? That's a faithful way to wrestle with bad circumstances. It doesn't deny the circumstances. It says, okay, this is really hard. What is God doing? 
The Apostle Paul kind of models that for us in 2 Corinthians. Uh, toward the end of the letter, he said that God allowed a messenger from Satan to torment me in order, purpose, in order to keep me from becoming conceited. See, the Apostle Paul was like, oh, the big, big Apostle Paul, and he had these visions, and, you know, he was exalted, and he was favored by God, and he could have gotten really proud, and he could have, you know, kind of lorded it over people and, and uh, been just a big cheese. So in order to keep him grounded and keep him humble, and, hey, Paul, you're nothing, baby. You're just, you're made out of dust. And in order to keep me from becoming conceited, God allowed, this is worse than the Chaldeans, <laughs> a messenger from Satan to give him some kind of thorn in the flesh. Not sure what that was, but some, you know, physical malady. What was God inviting him into? He was inviting him into humility, a sober awareness of who he was. So consider, what is he inviting you into? PLCL, in order to keep watch, look at Jesus. You talk about bad things happening to a good person. <laughs> he told the truth, they called him a liar. He called people to repent and enter into a new life with God. And they said, you have a demon. He enjoyed being with people. And they said, ah, he's a drunkard and a glutton. They concocted charges against him and they couldn't even get the witnesses to agree. But there he stood and he took it like a lamb, silent before the shearers. They whipped him, but he had done no evil. They mocked him. Mark says the whole battalion, it's like 600 soldiers, the whole battalion mocked him. They put the purple robe on him and the crown of thorns. They were bowing down before him. He never belittled people, and they're belittling him. They insulted him while he was on the cross. You listening to me? He's on the cross. And they're not content. What kind of hatred is this? Where is there even a glimmer of pity. And he said, Father, forgive them. So when you suffer, stand on the watchtower, eyes up, heads up, spiritual sensibilities attuned, and see how he might 
answer your sincere question. Pray, lament, consider what he's inviting you into, and look to Jesus. Great good came from his suffering. Great good. You and I are here today because of the evil that he endured. We have the hope of heaven today because he experienced hell. Our sins are forgiven because he was made sin for us. And so, Hebrews chapter 12, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that you have addressed our questions about suffering over and over again in the Bible. But even though you've addressed them, it's still hard, Lord, and we don't really have a full understanding. So help us to take our stand on the watchtower and look for your answers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.